Edgar Allan Poe's The Philosophy of Furniture. The Philosophy of Furniture is an essay written by American author Edgar Allan Poe, published in 1840. The essay presents Poe's theories on interior decorating. The Philosophy of Furniture was first published in the May 1840 issue of Burton's Gentleman's Magazine. Burton's Gentleman's Magazine, or more simply Burton's Magazine, was a literary publication published in Philadelphia from 1837 to 1840. Edgar Allan Poe was an editor and contributor Philosophy of Furniture In the internal decoration, if not in the external architecture of their residences, the English are supreme. The Italians have but little sentiment beyond marbles and colors. In France, the people are too much a race of gadabouts to maintain those household properties of which, indeed, they have a delicate appreciation or at least the elements of a proper sense. The Chinese and most of the Eastern races have a warm but inappropriate fancy. The Scotch are poor decorists. The Dutch have, perhaps, an indeterminate idea that a curtain is not a cabbage. In Spain, they are all curtains, a nation of hangmen. The Russians do not furnish. The Hottentots and Kickapoos are very well in their way. The Yankees alone are preposterous. How this happens, it is not difficult to see. We have no aristocracy of blood, and having therefore as a natural, and indeed as an inevitable thing, fashioned for ourselves an aristocracy of dollars, the display of wealth has here to take the place and perform the office of heraldic display in monarchical countries. By a transition readily understood, and which might have been as readily foreseen, we have been brought to merge in simple show our notions of taste itself. To speak less abstractly, in England, for example, no mere parade of costly appurtenances would be so likely as with us to create an impression of the beautiful in respect to the appurtenances themselves, or of taste as regards the proprietor. This for the reason, first, that wealth is not, in England, the loftiest object of ambition as constituting a nobility, and secondly, that there, the true nobility of blood, confining itself within the strict limits of legitimate taste rather avoids than affects that mere costliness in which a parnival rivalry may at any time be successfully attempted. The people will imitate the nobles, and the result is a thorough diffusion of the proper feeling. But in America, the coins current being the sole arms of aristocracy, their display may be said, in general, to be the sole means of the aristocratic distinction, and the populace, looking always upward for models, are insensibly led to confound the two entirely separate ideas of magnificence and beauty. In short, the cost of an article of furniture has at length come to be, with us, nearly the sole test of its merit in a decorative point of view. And this test, once established, has led the way to many analogous errors.
readily traceable to the one primitive folly. There could be nothing more directly offensive to the eye of an artist than the interior of what is termed in the United States, that is to say, in Appalachia, a well-furnished apartment. Its most usual defect is a want of keeping. We speak of the keeping of a room as we would of the keeping of a picture, for both the picture and the room are amendable to those undeviating principles which regulate all varieties of art, and very nearly the same laws by which we decide on the higher merits of a painting suffice for a decision on the adjustment of a chamber. A want of keeping is observable sometimes in the character of the several pieces of furniture, but generally in their colors or modes of adaptation to use. Very often, the eye is offended by their inartistic arrangement. Straight lines are too prevalent, too uninterruptedly continued, or clumsily interrupted at right angles. If curved lines occur, they are repeated into unpleasant uniformity. By undue precision, the appearance of many a fine apartment is utterly spoiled. Curtains are rarely well disposed or well chosen in respect to other decorations. With formal furniture, curtains are out of place, and an extensive volume of drapery of any kind is, under any circumstance, irreconcilable with good taste. The proper quantum, as well as the proper adjustment, depending upon the character of the general effect. Carpets are better understood of late than of ancient days, but we are still very frequently err in their patterns and colors. The soul of the apartment is the carpet. From it are deduced not only the hues, but the forms of all objects incumbent. A judge at common law may be an ordinary man. A good judge of a carpet must be a genius. Yet we have heard discoursing of carpets with the air d'un moton qui rêve, fellows who should not and who could not be entrusted with the management of their own mustaches. Everyone knows that a large floor may have a covering of large figures and that a small one must have a covering of small, yet that is not all the knowledge in the world. As regards texture, the Saxony is alone admissible. Brussels is the preter plupperfect tense of fashion, and Turkey is taste in its dying agonies. Touching pattern, a carpet should not be bedizened out like a rickery Indian. All red chalk, yellow okra, and cock's feathers. In brief, distinct grounds, and vivid circular or cycloid figures of no meaning are here median laws. The abomination of flowers or representations of well-known objects of a kind should not be endured within the limits of Christendom. Indeed, whether on carpets or curtains or tapestry or ottoman coverings, all upholstery of this nature should be rigidly arabesque. As for those antique floor cloth, and still occasionally seen in the dwellings of the rabble, cloths of huge, sprawling, and radiating devices, stripe interspersed and glorious with all hues, among which no ground is intelligible, these are but the wicked invention of a race of time servers 
and money lovers, children of Baal and worshippers of Mammon, Benthams who, to spare thought and economize fancy, first cruelly invented the kaleidoscope and then established joint stock companies to twirl it by steam. Glare is a leading error in the philosophy of American household decoration, an error easily recognized as deduced from the perversion of taste just specified. We are violently enamored of gas and of glass. The former is totally inadmissible within doors. Its harsh and unsteady light offends. No one having both brains and eyes will use it. A mild, or what artists term a cool light, with its consequent warm shadows, will do wonders for even an ill-furnished apartment. Never was a more lovely thought than that of the astral lamp. We mean, of course, the astral lamp proper, the lamp of Argand, with its original plain ground glass shade and its tempered and uniform moonlight rays. The cut glass shade is a weak invention of the enemy. The eagerness with which we have adopted it, partly on account of its flashiness, but principally on account of its greater rest, is a good commentary on the proposition with which we began. It is not too much to say that the deliberate employer of a cut glass shade is either radically deficient in taste or blindly subservient to the caprices of fashion. The light proceeding from one of these gaudy abominations is unequally broken and painful. It alone is sufficient to mar a world of good effect in the furniture subjected to its influence. Female loveliness, in especial, is more than one half disenchanted beneath its evil eye. In the matter of glass, generally, we proceed upon false principles. Its leading feature is glitter, and in that one word how much of all that is detestable do we express. Flickering, unquiet lights are sometimes pleasing, to children and idiots always so, but in the embellishment of a room they should be scrupulously avoided. In truth, even strong, steady lights are inadmissible. The huge and unmeaning glass chandeliers, prism-cut, gas-lighted, and without a shade, which dangle in our most fashionable drawing rooms, may be cited as the quintessence of all that is false in taste or preposterous in folly. The rage for glitter, because its idea has become, as we before observed, confounded with that of magnificence in the abstract, has led us also to the exaggerated employment of mirrors. We line our dwellings with great British plates and then imagine we have done a fine thing. Now the slightest thought will be sufficient to convince anyone who has an eye at all of the ill effect of numerous looking glasses, and especially of large ones. Regarded apart from its reflection, the mirror presents a continuous, flat, colorless, unrelieved surface, a thing always and obviously unpleasant. Considered as a reflector, it is potent in producing a monstrous and odious uniformity, and the evil is here aggravated, not in merely direct proportion with the augmentation of its sources, but in a ratio constantly increasing. 
In fact, a room with four or five mirrors arranged at random is, for all purposes of artistic show, a room with no shape at all. If we add to this evil the attendant glitter upon glitter, we have a perfect farrago of discordant and displeasing effects. The various bumpkin on entering an apartment so bedizened would be instantly aware of something wrong, although he might be altogether unable to assign a cause for his dissatisfaction. But let the same person be led into a room tastefully furnished, and he would be startled into an exclamation of pleasure and surprise. It is an evil growing out of our republican institutions that here a man of large purse has usually a very little soul which he keeps in it. The corruption of taste is a portion or a pendant of the dollar manufacture. As we grow rich, our ideas grow rusty. It is therefore not among our aristocracy that we must look, if at all in Appalachia, for the spirituality of a British boudoir. But we have seen apartments in the tenure of Americans of modest means which, in negative merit at least, might vie with any of the Ormolud cabinets of our friends across the water. Even now, there is present to our mind's eye a small and not ostentatious chamber with whose decorations no fault can be found. The proprietor lies asleep on a sofa. The weather is cool. The time is near midnight. We will make a sketch of the room during his slumber. It is oblong some 30 feet in length and 25 in breadth, a shape affording the best ordinary opportunities for the adjustment of furniture. It has but one door, by no means a wide one, which is at one end of the parallelogram, and but two windows, which are at the other. These latter are large, reaching down to the floor, and have deep recesses and open on an Italian veranda. Their panes are of a crimson-tinted glass set in rosewood framings, more massive than usual. They are curtained within the recess by a thick silver tissue adapted to the shape of the window and hanging loosely in small volumes. Without the recess are curtains of an exceedingly rich crimson silk fringed with a deep network of gold and lined with silver tissue which is the material of the exterior blind. There are no cornices, but the folds of the whole fabric, which are sharp rather than massive and have an airy appearance, issue from beneath a broad entablature of rich giltwork, which encircles the room at the junction of the ceiling and walls. The drapery is thrown open also, or closed by means of a thick rope of gold loosely enveloping it, and resolving itself readily into a knot. No pins or other such devices are apparent. The colors of the curtains and their fringe, the tints of crimson and gold, appear everywhere in profusion and determine the character of the room. The carpet of Saxony material is quite half an inch thick and is one of the same crimson ground relieved simply by the appearance of a gold cord like that festening the curtains, slightly relieved above the surface of the ground, and thrown open in such a manner as to form a succession of short irregular curves, one occasionally overlaying the other. 
The walls are prepared with a glossy paper of silver gray tint, spotted with small arabesque devices of a fainter hue of the prevalent crimson. Many paintings relieve the expanse of paper. These are chiefly landscapes of an imaginative cast, such as the fairy grottos of Stanfield or the lake of the dismal swamp of Chapman. There are nevertheless three or four female heads of an ethereal beauty portraits in the manner of Sully. The tone of each picture is warm but dark. There are no brilliant effects. Repose speaks in all. Not one is of small size. Diminutive paintings give that spotty look to a room, which is the blemish of so many a fine work of art overtouched. The frames are broad but not deep and richly carved without being dulled or filigreed. They have the whole luster of varnished gold. They lie flat on the walls and do not hang off with cords. The design themselves are often seen to better advantage in this latter position, but the general appearance of the chamber is injured. But one mirror, and this is not a very large one, is visible. In shape, it is nearly circular, and it is hung so that a reflection of the person can be obtained from it in none of the ordinary sitting places of the room. Two large low sofas of rosewood and crimson silk, gold-flowered, form the only seats, with the exception of two light conversation chairs, also of rosewood. There is a pianoforte, rosewood also, without cover and thrown open. An octagonal table, formed altogether of the richest gold-threaded marble, is placed near one of the sofas. This is also without cover. The drapery of the curtains has been thought sufficient. Four large and gorgeous Sevres vases, in which bloom a profusion of sweet and vivid flowers, occupy the slightly rounded angles of the room. A tall candelabrum bearing a small antique lamp with highly perfumed oil is standing near the head of my sleeping friend. Some light and graceful hanging shelves with golden edges and crimson silk cords with gold tassels sustain two or three hundred magnificently bound books. Beyond these things, there is no furniture, if we accept an argan lamp with a plain crimson-tinted ground glass shade which descends from the lofty vaulted ceiling by a single slender gold chain and throws a tranquil but magical radiance over all.